Well, today, as we uh, continue on in our Love Does series, I want to introduce you guys to one of my favorite leaders in the Bible. And I'm glad this guy is finally going to get some attention because oftentimes you don't see this guy in the Bible going for the spotlight. You don't see this guy on stage very often, but he is, but he is, his actions prompted by the Holy Spirit really help the church and propels it into the potential that it has. And I want you to know that if you are a leader here at North Terrace, No matter where you are currently serving, if you serve in our kids' ministry or student ministry or nursing home ministry or juvenile detention center ministry, worship ministry, VIP team, or wherever it is, we've got so many opportunities where where you can serve. If we follow the example of this servant leader, it will propel our church forward exponentially. So that we will begin to, to see the immeasurably more that God has promised for us. So I want you to turn today, grab your Bibles, or if you have one of your devices with you, turn into Acts chapter 4. And we are going to start there as we're going to kind of follow this guy around. We're, we, we just might get a restraining order slapped on us today because we're going to stalk this guy all throughout the book of Acts. But we have to start in Acts chapter 4 where we find him first. And this, let me give you a little bit of a setting of where we're at today. Uh, this is right after Jesus has risen from the dead. This is right after he has appeared to 500 of his followers as eyewitnesses of his resurrection. This is right when the church, the early church, is beginning to grow in momentum and to take on this, the world as God has called us to do. And so verse 32, this is the, where, where we're at today, Acts chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Here's this guy. Enter our, our leader. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's something to really pull from this text. Is that a movement of generosity is always evident when Jesus is at the heart of a person or of a church. Always. Because God is the giver. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And when Jesus is at the heart of a person, generosity is always evident. And when Jesus is at the heart of a church, generosity is always evident. It's this idea that if God has blessed us, then we must bless 
others. That God didn't bless us just so that we could sit around and being blessed, but God calls us to be his conduit of his blessing to give it on, pass it on to a hurting world so that we can help one more need be met. And in verse 36, we see Barnabas, Joseph, as being a part of this movement of generosity in the early church. And Joseph is his is his name that his mama gave him. But the apostles, the, the leaders of the early church, they give him a nickname. They see something in this guy, and they're saying, we're not calling you Joseph, we're calling you Barnabas, because that means son of encouragement. And we are told that he sold this field that belonged to him, and he gave the proceeds, the money, to the church so that it could go help meet needs. So there's this guy, Barnabas. He's got this nickname, right? This nickname given by the disciples. That's his entry part to the story that we're going to look at here. But now I want all of you to go ahead and go to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to catch up with you in just a minute because I've got to introduce to you one other guy that's a key player in this story. And we, we, we see that with the church of Jesus at this time beginning to, to become this movement across the world, there are these other guys who will stop at nothing but to trying to eradicate Christians from the face of the earth. And in Acts chapter 7, we see this, we see the very first example of a Christian who is martyred for his faith. We, have, we see the very first execution. This guy named Stephen who is a follower of Jesus, who is about to be killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And you see this group, this radicalized Jewish zealots who will stop at nothing but to try to kill Christianity. And they are the ones who are stoning, throwing these stones at Stephen, murdering him. And there in that group is a guy by the name of Saul. And he has, a, he has a leadership role in the execution of Stephen. Saul is the equivalent of what we see on the news today when we hear about ISIS. Well, that is until Jesus comes along and absolutely wrecks his life. Because Saul, he's on the road to Damascus where he is going there to go round up a group of Christians, throw them in prison, execute them maybe. And that's on that road is where Jesus reveals himself to Saul. Now, maybe, maybe you're one of those people that say, well, well, God doesn't work that way today. God doesn't do that. God, God may have done that in Bible days, but Jesus doesn't reveal himself to people like that today. Not, not so fast. And I, and I would say you've got to be careful when we try to take our big, big, massive God and try to cram him into our little box of what we think God can and cannot do, because he might surprise you. Last year, there was a gal who started coming to North Terrace, North Terrace, and the very first Sunday she came, she heard Chris talk about our discovery class, and she told her husband next to her, I'd like to go to that. And she came, and there were about 15 others who were in that discovery class. I'll never forget this. And we usually go around in that class kind of introducing who we are and what, where we kind of come from and what maybe, what, you know, what your background is. And the usual stories is something like this. You know, I grew up in Zanesville or somewhere in Ohio. I, 
you know, I come from a, bath, a Methodist background or a Catholic ba- background, or I didn't come to church at all, and, then, or, and, and just now I'm really learning about what God, who God is and what he wants from me, and I've got so many questions. That's the usual thing we hear, and I love those stories. But we come around to the last, one of the last people, and this gal says, well, this is my first time. She has a heavy accent, but beautiful English. She says, I come from the country of Tunisia. And I'm like, okay, where is that? First of all, I don't, I don't even know, right? I'm not a geography major. It's in the northern part of Africa, a predominantly Muslim country. And she says, when I was in Tunisia, a few, maybe a, a year ago, Jesus appeared to me in a vision in my sleep and said, I love you. I've, I've died for you. I call you to be my child. Follow me. And she said, from that moment on, I have been following Jesus. My family disowned me. I met this man who's from America, a Christian. We got married, and now I'm living here. And this, that day was the very first time in her life she was able to worship Jesus in a church family like this. And she was, she said, I was just, I was just tearing up the whole time. It was this amazing experience. And unfortunately, she moved to Indiana which is God's country, because you don't know. Um, and, but I, I was telling my friend Billy, and Billy lives in Iraq, and, and Billy actually was here in August last year teaching with me about the work he's, he does for orphans and the refugees in the Middle East. And he said, Matt, that story, I hear it all the time in Iraq, that God is pursuing after Everyone, that God loves everyone. And, and there's just not, there, just in case there's not as many Christians in, in the Middle East who are sharing Jesus, that's not going to stop our God. And I hear it all the time, and I see people who are following Jesus because of that way. So God, he completely flips the script on Saul's life, and he turns him from a Christian killer to a guy who is now relentlessly pursuing after people to help them find their way back to God through Jesus Christ. So we come to Acts chapter 9, where I told you to go next. And Saul, he, he's now a Christian. He wants to meet with the, the apostles, the church leaders. And so he wants to go to them. But they're not that excited about wanting to schedule this meeting with Saul because they don't believe him. They know his reputation. They think he's just trying to infiltrate their ranks of the Christian leaders so that maybe he might come in and just cut off the Christianity by its head. And so we come to Acts chapter 9. And what we see in verse 26, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was really a disciple. But here comes our friend. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Question. Was was Barnabas there on the road to Damascus where Saul allegedly met Jesus? No. He wasn't there. But I think here we get a glimpse of why the disciples, the apostles, why they gave this guy the nickname Son of Encouragement. He puts his own reputation, his own integrity on the line, and basically opens the door for 
Saul to go and meet with the apostles. And I think Barnabas, standing there before the disciples, probably looked at the disciples and said, Hey, Peter, do you remember who you were before Jesus got a hold of you? You were an absolute knucklehead. And and James and John, do you guys remember who you were before Jesus really changed your life? Remember the time when you guys tried to call down fire on those guys who you didn't really care for? And, and, And Matthew, I mean, you were a greedy tax collector. Before Jesus found you, nobody wanted to be around you. But God is a God of second chances. And where would any of us be without his faithfulness, without his grace, without his forgiveness? And there are some of you in this room today, you're not serving right now because you don't think that you're worthy, that you're worthy of it. That you, don't, you don't think that you deserve it. You, don't, you don't feel like you're qualified to serve. There's something in your past, some mistakes that you have made that just haunt you, and you just don't think, God can't use me. But I want to tell you right now that there is not a leader, someone who is serving anywhere in North Terrace, that hasn't been the recipient of the grace of God, and that, he, that know him as a God of second chances, including this guy up here on stage. And that God loves to use the unqualified, the undeserving, the flawed, and the ordinary to do extraordinary things through. Saul says, I'm the chief of that guy. I'm the chief of those kind of flawed individuals. And he says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the world, things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. That God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can boast can ever boast in the presence of God. We like to say it around here at North Terrace that, that we are a bunch of nobodies called to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. So Paul, so Saul, because of Barnabas, he steps in, puts his reputation, his integrity on the line for this guy he, he has then been able to, the, the, the apostles now know that th- this guy is credible, that his story is legit, and they send him to the town of Tarsus where he can go and tell others about Jesus. Well, as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, we come to, the, to Acts chapter 11. And news reaches the apostles that something is going on in the northern city of Antioch, that people just keep coming to Jesus in droves. So they send Barnabas up to check it out, to investigate what's going on. So Barnabas gets there to the city of Antioch, and he begins to teach the new believers. He begins to lead them. But all of a sudden, you see Barnabas leave. Where does he go? Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, He brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And here's a great little detail here. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Well, Barnabas intentionally leaves Antioch and goes to find Saul in Tarsus. 
And he says, listen, there's this awesome opportunity going on in Antioch. God has called me to be a part of it, to lead it. But I've left it because I, saw, I, I came to find you, Saul, because I need you. I need your help. Would you come and help me? I mean, how do you think that must make Saul feel? I mean, this is the second time that this guy Barnabas has sought him out, who has empowered him to come and help him. I mean, this guy that's just traveled 100 miles from Antioch to, to Tarsus just so that he could invite him to do ministry, to do life together with him. And I want to tell you the secret of what Barnabas is doing to, to Saul right now. Because there are these four letters in the English language that are the most powerful four letters in our alphabet. And, and, and here's what those four letters are. It's I C N you. And I have found this to be true in my own life. With my parents, people that I had in the church that I grew up with in, in Indiana, my youth ministers, college professors, leaders who I have sought out to seek out their wisdom, when they have looked at me and said, Matt, this is what I see in you. When they use those words, it unlocks something deep within me that I didn't even know was in there. That God unleashes the potential that, that they called out in my life. And I've seen it work the other way too. When I have said those words to other people. And they go, I didn't even see that in me. And it, it speaks it out, calls it out in them. We come to Acts chapter 13, and Barnabas and Saul have now spent a year together in the city of Antioch, kind of leading the movement there. And the, and the church that has been built there in Antioch, the leaders, they send Barnabas and Saul out on a missionary journey to go around to city after city after city telling people about Jesus. And three things that are really worth highlighting during this missionary journey I'm going to tell you about right now. One is that Saul begins to go by a different name. He's, he starts going by the name of Paul. Another thing is we learn about there's another companion who's traveling with them, a guy by the name of Mark. Other, some translations, you might have a translation of the Bible that says, he calls, might call him John Mark. But somewhere along on this journey, this guy Mark, who it just so happens to be the cousin of Barnabas, they're in the city of Pamphylia, and Mark says, I'm done. I'm out. He packs up his belongings, and he abandons his post. He leaves. He quits. And this does not sit well with Paul. A little bit more on that in just a minute. But here's another thing that happens on this journey. Another thing worth noting here is up until this point, whenever this dynamic duo is mentioned, it is always this way. It goes Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul. And that's worth noting here because in the Bible, when there's a group of people mentioned, it almost always lists the leader first, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul. But on this missionary journey, halfway through, somewhere in the middle, it flip-flops. And now it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. It's almost as if Barnabas takes a step back intentionally and kind of pushes Paul to the forefront and says, I've done my part. I've, I've taught you, I've, I've trained you, I've invested my life in you, but now it's your turn and you're going to take the gospel, you're going to do things that God could never have done through me. 
just watch what God's going to do. Just cheers them on. If this was a track relay race, Barnabas has just taken the baton and handed it to Paul. So they wrap up this missionary journey together. But they're about to embark on another one. And we come to Acts chapter 15, but something happens before they leave. Acts 15 verse 36 says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. And let's check on them. Let's see how they're doing. But now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, the the quitter, right? But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And I've said this before, but there's a reason why so many churches are are messy. It's because they're full of messy people. And we're one of those churches, and they have messy leaders, and I'm one of those. And even here with these guys, Paul and Barnabas, we see their messiness kind of come out. These BFFs, man, they, 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 they split up. They go their different directions. Barnabas says, listen, Paul, Mark is my blood. And he deserves a second chance. Just like you did, Paul. And I, I stuck my reputation on the line for you, and now I'm going to do the same thing for Mark. In a case, maybe you're putting two and two together and you're kind of going through the book of the Bible, you're going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark. Is that Mark, the same Mark that we're talking about here? Yeah, it is. And so here's something I think is really worth noting. Barnabas says, I see in you to two different guys who are desperately in need for second chances. And both of them, God uses, Paul and Mark, to write huge chunks of the New Testament. Paul also chooses a young companion as he goes off at his own journey, a guy named Silas, and he begins to invest in him the same way that Barnabas began to invest in him. And later on, I mean, Paul also invests and says, I see in you to a guy by the name of Timothy. And you just see that baton being passed down generation to generation. And here's where I kind of look to you guys today, and I talk to our leaders in our church. And maybe some of you are going, I'm not a leader. If you're serving in this church, whether it's our kids area or our student ministry or juvenile detention center ministry or VIP team or worship ministry or tech ministry, uh, there's just a ton of ways to serve, whether through, through a collection of, of our plates or uh, communion preparation. You are a leader. And what would it look like if you were to find one other person that God has put into your life? Maybe they're in your small group right now. Maybe, they, maybe they're sitting in the same row as you right now. And you look to them and said, I see 
in you. This is what I see that is, you, God, you're not allowing God to tap in to the talents and the abilities and the ways that he wants to use you to further his kingdom. What would that look like? If you were to do that, you can do that. Take them out for a cup of coffee. What would it look like if, a, if our senior adults in our church, those who have been where many of us are going, what if you guys were to look at the, those who were in the middle age bracket, you know, and say, you know what, how about I, let's go have breakfast. Let's go and I, I want to share with you where I've been. And this is, I want to call out the, the things I see God hasn't put in you. And what if our middle-aged people, or maybe those who, are in their, or those who are in their 30s or 40s, were to look down at those in the college age or young adults, the young marrieds, and say, hey, I've been where you're, where you're going. I want to help you. I want to speak into your life, our high school kids, our middle school kids. What would that look like? Could it be that God is just waiting for you to speak words of encouragement into them, just to begin to unleash the potential, and began to use them in extraordinary ways. This book that we, really the inspiration for this series, Love Does, comes from a book called Love Does by a guy named Bob Goff. And one of the chapters he talks about when he was a little kid in, in, in baseball, um, he was not a very good athlete. And one time he was up at the plate with two strikes, and he says this, The last pitch came soaring from the mound, and I closed my eyes and swung as hard as I could. Somehow, miraculously, I had connected with the ball. I was so startled at first that I just stood there, and then someone on the bench shouted, Run! So like Forrest Gump, I ran. I watched as the ball sailed out into center field, bounced off the top of the fence, and fell over on the home run side. As I rounded third, I soaked in my glory as I stampeded toward home plate, Arms raised high, making a referee signal for a touchdown because I didn't know the difference. In the end, we lost miserably. But I hardly even noticed because my home run was playing over and over in my mind. A week or so later, I was in my room. My mom told me I had some mail. Mail? For me? I opened the big envelope and inside was a card. I think it was the first card I'd ever received in the mail, and it was shaped like an apple. I wondered if all cards were shaped like apples. When I opened the card, the words, you are the apple of my eye, had been printed by Hallmark inside. And in handwriting below were the words, wow, what a hit, Bob. You're a real ball player. Love, coach. I heard a self-help guy say, this is him going on, is I heard a self-help guy say once, you could look in the mirror and give yourself something he called positive affirmations. Like saying to yourself, you're good, you're smart, you're talented. I don't know if that works, to be honest. Maybe it does. But I do know one thing that works every time. It's having somebody else say something good about you. I think that's how we were created to get named by people this way. I think God speaks something meaningful into our lives and it fills us up, helps us change the world regardless of ourselves and our shortcomings. His name for us is Beloved. He hopes that we'll believe him like I came to believe what the coach said about me. He hopes we'll start to see ourselves as his beloved rather than think of all the reasons that we aren't. And sometimes we don't think that the name someone picked for us is accurate either. 
How could the coach think of me as a real ball player? How could God think of me as his beloved? But then I remember Jesus said to one of the guys with him that he was a rock, even though he knew this same guy would deny ever knowing him. I don't think Jesus was blowing sunshine at Peter when he did that. Instead, I think he was calling something out from inside Peter. Kind of like the coach telling me I was a real ball player. He saw it in me and was just calling it out. And we get to do that for each other still today. He wraps up, says, it's over 40 years later, and in my mind, I can still see myself pulling the card out of the envelope. I can see that it's shaped like an apple. And inside those words, you're the apple of my eye. Wow, what a hit, Bob. You're a real ball player, love coach. Words of encouragement are like that. They have their own power. And when they are said by the right people, they can change everything. But what I have found in following Jesus is that most of the time when it comes to who says it, that we each are the right people. And I've also concluded that the words people say to us not only have shelf life, but the ability to shape life. So today, I want to talk again to our leaders. Who do you need to be saying, I see in you too? Who do you need to be coming along side by side, doing life with, serving side by side with, so that God can unleash the potential inside of them? Every one of you could be doing that. And maybe there's also people in this room, like a young gal in our first service, who says, I need to be following Jesus. That you know that he calls you his beloved. That you deserve a second chance from God. And he is the one who loves to give him. He is the one who sent his son Jesus. He gave his son so that you might have life. Eternal life. Would you make that decision today? If you have questions, next Sunday's our discovery class. Get signed up for that so you can get your questions answered so that you can answer the most important question you will ever, ever be faced with in life. Who is Jesus? Would you stand? We're going to sing the song of decision right now. And if you have a decision to make for him, would you make it at this time?